Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. If you would like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. That's patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. This is a listener supported podcast. You can join the over 200 members of the Patreon community and get access to premium content in return for your support, uh, monthly podcasts, monthly blogs, and um, uh, and, and access to the Patreon community where we get to engage in all kinds of fun conversations. So um, that's patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. Would really uh, appreciate your support and a massive shout out to all of you who are Patreon supporters who have been supporting the show. I've got people, you know, who have been such faithful supporters. They've been supporting the show for like over three years. So um, you know who you are. So just want to thank you so much for your support of this show. I have on the show today a good friend of mine, a local friend. I rarely have, I rarely have local guests um, I don't know why that is. Anyway, um, I, I do have a, a good friend of mine, John Whitaker, Dr. John Whitaker on the show today. He was on the show, I think about a year ago. We sat in, our, uh, in my basement together sharing a microphone because I only have one microphone here. And uh, we talked about all things related to church, ministry, discipleship, Bible teaching, and so on. John Whitaker is one of my favorite Bible teachers, he, he is so good. He's so knowledgeable. He's so well-rounded. He's gracious. He has conviction. He's incredibly clear. He's intelligent. He knows God's word so well, and yet he's able to communicate it in really clear ways. And he's been, a, I mean, John's been a pastor for a number of years, a church planner, youth pastor, a teacher at a Bible college for almost 20 years. I mean, he just has so much experience. And in the last couple of years, he basically has... Um, been doing all kinds of different kind, all, all different kinds of Bible teaching through, uh, through the internet, <laughs> the internet. Uh, I mean, he, he's got like courses on different Bible, uh, on books of the Bible. He's got a podcast called the Bible in real life. You can go to John Whitaker.net, uh, J O H N then Whitaker.net. Uh, and you can see some of the stuff that he's putting out. One of the things that he's putting out, it, it'll be out, um, fairly soon, if it's not out already, is a, an audio commentary on the Bible. So you can, so where you can listen to a commentary on say, you know, um, the book of Philippians or Galatians and, and, and by commentary, I'm not saying like a string of sermons. I'm saying somebody who's basically like audibly doing what you would read in a commentary, like going into great detail and explaining the meaning of the text. I don't think this something like this exists. I've never seen anything just like what John is producing. Um, eight hours of commentary on the book of Galatians. So he's going deep, uh, four hours on Philippians. And he, I think he just finished James and he's going to be rolling out the entire New Testament. I mean, over a period of time. So I invite you to check that out. We, we, we talk about that on the podcast um, in, in just a second. So anyway, without further ado, uh, please welcome to the show for the second time, the one and only Dr. John Whitaker. All right, I'm here with my uh, good friend, John Whitaker. John, thanks for being uh, on the podcast for the second time. <laughs> hey, yeah, thanks for having me back. And uh, yeah. yeah, look forward to just having a good conversation with you. Last time we were here in my basement sharing a microphone, but I am sick right now. Hopefully without, <laughs> hopefully I don't have, 
uh, coronavirus. Um, hopefully, it's just a cold. We'll see. By the time this releases, I'll either. Uh, yeah, I should know, but um, I, I, th- I, <laughs> I don't be tested positive or something, right? <laughs> I'm not, I won't be alive. I don't know. I I, I have all the symptoms of just a common cold, so I, um, you yeah. should be good. <laughs> I should be good. Yeah, we'll see. But crazy times, man. So we we yeah. were talking just offline about the impact of <clears throat> the coronavirus on, I mean, on just the just the ripple effects on it, everybody, um, but the economic effects on church people and ministry people that you know, are dependent on large gatherings for yeah. their income, just to put it in real practical terms. So um, it, are you feeling like, are you seeing other people being really affected by it? And um, I think we're on the, the early stages of it. And so it's, I don't think we know exactly the full impact yet. You know, I, I mean, churches who, okay, you know, maybe they get a, a percentage of their income from online giving that probably won't change. But what about those that give, you know, old school way, putting in the offering bucket on the way by on Sundays? Well, that, that could affect the, you know, the impact on financial and churches. And then that could impact ministry or, you know, people that like what you and I do where we travel and speak. Yeah. I mean, you know, gatherings aren't being allowed, you know, how does that go? Or I just yeah. heard of a wedding that got canceled because the venue says, nope too big of a gathering in view of everything. And yeah, so I didn't even think about yeah, weddings. You have That's the crazy. emotional impact of canceling a wedding. You have the, the, we're talking economic impact, the poor pastor who's going to do that, the honorarium for that. I mean, it is, it's, it's hard to quantify. Yeah. The, but even, even the, so and just some audience, our audience knows we're recording this on March 17th. And I, um, I mean this, I don't know when this, this might be released in, you know, two weeks later. So you that are listening, this might be late March or whatever. And you know, if you keep up on it, it's day to day, things are radically changing. Yeah. So even, even by the time people are listening to this, we might be, yeah, could, we could be in lockdown. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I mean, I just saw that been just keeping up on it. Like Spain, um, between like Sunday and Monday, the amount of confirmed cases, like doubled or more than doubled in Spain mm-hmm. and they became the fourth most impacted country by coronavirus wow. in just one night because yeah, the it's just the number of confirmed cases and all that and it's like so it just seems like once it gets going it just begins to kind of snowball so fast which i do think you know there's you know it's kind of debated on whether uh america is overreacting you know or underreacting or somewhere in between and i don't know like i I think they're taking pretty drastic measures in most states um, to prevent, you know, an Italy from happening or a Spain right. or, or obviously, you know, China. China's leveled out, right? Are we, are we seeing yep. whatever they're doing is... I actually just saw an interview this morning with an American living in Wuhan, ground zero of this really? whole thing. And he's like, we're still under quarantine, but you can begin to get the sense that it's settling back to normal. We seem to be on the other side of things. And over the next few weeks, things should settle down is what he seemed to be saying that the number of confirmed cases, they only had one confirmed case in Wuhan apparently yesterday, he said. Wow. And so he feels like, okay, things are beginning to, he can just feel the, 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 you know, the whole tone and demeanor of things beginning to shift back towards, okay, we're going to get back to normal here before. And, and that's because they're saying because they had a strict lockdown for several weeks and it just let yep. it run its course yeah. in the people. And then rather than just keep spreading around. Yeah. They actually said on the news this morning that, uh, 
there was a hospital which was dedicated to coronavirus there in China, and they they shuttered it up, closed it up because they didn't have enough uh, coronavirus cases for that oh. hospital. Well, so that's hopeful, right? They I seem mean, to be on the other side of it, you know. I mean, that's super hopeful. I mean, this is yeah, ground yeah. zero, and where the explosion happened, and and so it's actually that seems pretty quick. I mean, if you take January through, we're you know two and a half, well, yeah, two and a half months, and we're already seeing seeing it. Yeah, level Signs out. That, yeah, so hopefully, if we get get out in front of this, it'll be pretty quick here too. I I think the virus will be quick. I think the economic impact is going to be well. That's maybe it. Fairly I don't. Other and, than the owners of toilet paper companies <laughs> or Costco, or you know, I actually yeah. read, read something about the, you know the ten best stocks to invest in right now. I think Costco is one of them. Um, but yeah, the <laughs> as I think about the ripple effects, I mean. Even like sports being shut down, the MLB being delayed for two or three months and all the people that make their living off of that. And obviously everybody who's, you know, art, you know, music artists who depend on, on large gatherings, yeah. pastors, yeah. and even people that are giving online as people's incomes become drained or even significantly, you know, just fragile and unpredictable. I mean, even me, like, I, and I'm not one that freaks out over finances. I grew up poor. I, I don't we can survive on, on little. Um, but even now I'm like thinking ahead, like, okay, I can survive for a, a few months based on reserves and stuff and really shore stuff up. But my l- livelihood is dependent upon large gatherings. Yeah. So even now, yeah. like, am I going to be as generous with my money and giving to online, whatever? I'm, well, I'm be a little nervous about that. Like I might need yeah. this to survive come, you know, August or whatever. So I, I just right. wonder is yeah. even online giving people might be like, well, yeah, I need to, good. No, and I think, yeah, I think in a month or so we'll be, we might begin to see the impact of that. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with all of this. You know, <laughs> yeah, and the stock. But are you a stock? I don't follow the stock market. I've got not money. really, man. I let, I, <laughs> I, I got my my retirement fund with Edward Jones, and I let I let my Edward Jones guy worry about all <laughs> that. But still, it is crazy just to watch the just the sheer steep drop off in the last week or two. You know, yeah, it's pretty nuts. Wow. Golly. Um, so tell us, so last time we talked, I think it was about a year ago on the podcast. I mean, you were doing a lot of just kind of grassroots Bible training. Um, you, you've got a podcast, you've been coaching churches on stuff. Um, you've, you've been producing, um, you know, what? why don't we, the, the, the one thing that you've been focusing on that isn't quite released yet is, are these audio commentaries. Why don't, can yeah. you unpack what what you're doing with that and, and when we can expect those to be released. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, my, my heart is just straight up Bible teaching in a way that connects with where people live. Right. And I, I, uh, I mean, I think we just live in a culture increasingly where people want to know the Bible, but they don't know the Bible. And frankly, sermons are necessary, but they're not sufficient to help people know the Bible, you know, yeah, I mean, like, totally. um, and, and, and that's even when you got a really good preacher, you know, yeah. I mean, and, and that, you know, so, so I just want to help people understand the text in a way that, man, like, here's what the text really says. Here's what it means. Here's, here's some implications for our life. So, and since so many people uh, listen online, I mean, like digital audio is the fastest growing medium online, mm-hmm. right? So why not seize that for the sake of Jesus and the gospel? So I'm creating a listener's commentary to the new Testament that the, it's not released yet, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll release the first few volumes at listenerscommentary.com. And it's just going to basically be an audio commentary on the New Testament. So I've got Philippians 
recorded. I just, it's in post-production. I've got Galatians recorded, same thing, post-production, trying to figure out at least a real basic platform to get started and how to release that to people. But just walking through the text of Philippians, chunk by chunk, mm-hmm. and just like you would if you're going to read a commentary, you know, pick up a commentary in a theological library and read it. Well, done that audio, but in a way, hopefully that's, you know, detailed enough to feel like, man, I, I learned a lot, but not so detailed that it feels like I'm reading a boring <laughs> commentary, yeah. you know, something like that. that What's the website I, I again? I taught 21 of the 27 New Testament books over the years at Boise Bible College. So yeah. it's like, I've, I, you know, I've got a lot of material and, and uh, just how can I make that available in a way that'll help yeah. the average person really understand the text of scripture, bring it to life. So it's a little more three-dimensional. For what, what's the website again? Listeners commentary. Listeners commentary.com. Listeners commentary.com. Not live yet, but uh, over the next few weeks, going to hopefully get that live and at least put, get Philippians and Galatians up. James is really close to being ready. And just then I'll release a volume as I get it done. You yeah. know, I'll just, Teach to my microphone, put it online, and hopefully help people understand the Bible. <laughs> it, it might be by the time this releases, it might be it might be up. So maybe yeah, yeah people are listening. I don't know. Check it out. See if it's up yet. Listenerscommentary.com. dot um, And how many out? So you we, we talked offline, but like so your your audio commentary on Philippians. How how long is that? How how many hours? Yeah, I, the Philippians one is about four four and a half hours of audio content. Okay. Broken into chunks, just, you know, verses one through 11 and walking down through that and verses 12 through whatever and walking, you know, so just kind of chunk by chunk, walking down through the chunks of the text, just like you would in a normal commentary. But, but it's Philippians is about four and a half hours. Okay. Uh, Galatians is about eight, eight and a half hours. So huh. a lot of material in there that you can process while driving around, working out or whatever else as you kind of work through the text. And do you like read that? So if somebody is, yeah, say they're working out, they don't have the text in front of them. You, you read a chunk and then just break it down and yep. yeah, read a chunk and break it down and kind of go through that. And I'm hoping that, uh, we'll see, you know, I may have to kind of do an initial version of the platform and then kind of build it up from there. But I would love to actually have it set up where kind of like in the show notes on a podcast that probably won't be in a podcast format, but in a show notes on the podcast, you have text down below. I could at least have the paragraph of scripture I'm commenting on. So if someone wants to, they could scroll down real quick while they're listening and just kind of follow along or whatever, you know, oh, so totally, they can at yeah. least see the text right there and see the version I'm working off of. So we're all working off the same kind of, are, are you, do, do you have written notes for this? Like if you wanted to turn this into a written commentary, would it be easy or are you going off of kind of bullet point ideas or, um, no, I've got written notes. Um, and since I taught so many of these new Testament books at the college, over the years, my written notes, the formatting of them got much better, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like like Philippians, um, I taught that beginning in 1995 all the way up until two, wow. 2014, you know? And so my notes are a little there. I can follow them, but the average person might not be oh, able yeah. to. Okay. But Galatians, it, it's a full sentence paragraph uh, uh, outline, you know? So yeah. it's like key ideas. So, I mean, it's really easy to follow. So I could turn that you know, into something really easy. But I guess Romans is the same sort of way. It's really thorough because yeah. I, it, you know, I, I, I got better at how I organize my notes over the, as the years went on. And for some of them, I'm going to have to, I'm going back and kind of rewrite stuff anyhow, you know, to get them cleaned yeah. up. So. But there's, there's not a huge demand for yet another written commentary. Right. Your uniqueness is the audio. There is no such thing as an, is there, I mean, are, have you seen any I, sort of audio commentary? Not, like a, that? not a full on one that tries to do like the whole new Testament. I, um, Rob Bell has a an audio commentary on the book of Leviticus. Does he? 
Yeah. Is it just his sermons or is it actually an other I comic? think it's based on stuff he, you know, because he when he started Grand Rapids back way back in the day when he was yeah. still fairly evangelical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He uh he he started his church by preaching through Leviticus. I remember that. Yeah. That crazy? So he's loved Leviticus for years. And so he uh, he I think based on all his research, he put together what is somewhat of an audio commentary on the book of Leviticus. But I know beyond like one-off things like that, or there's nothing that's just set up, you know, really is to be a commentary. There's podcasts that kind of work through text of scripture and all that, but to be, this is intentionally set up to be a commentary, walking you through it chunk by chunk with, here's this paragraph, here's the main point, let's walk down to the details, here's a couple implications, you know, and it's such unique. And you're just crowd, you're going to try and crowdfund it or yeah, that's not going to be behind a paywall? Yeah. I, you know, for people that say, man, I believe in the vision of this. I think this is really useful to people. I want to help people understand the text of scripture. I'll, I'll chip in a little bit to help you create this commentary. You know, I, I just want to see if I can, I can do it that way to make it as available to as wide of an audience as possible. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is even though my online ministry is a lot smaller than yours, cause I'm several years behind you in a lot of this, you know, I mean, my, Obviously, my, you know, most of my listeners to my podcast are United States, but Canada's number two cons- mm-hmm. most of the time. Singapore is number three. No way. I don't know of anybody in Singapore <laughs> personally, but they consistently listen to my podcast in wow. Singapore. I, I have listeners all over the world and some, you know, South Africa, Ghana, India, and some of those places, they're, they're not going to pay to get right. Bible teaching or training, right? Right. You know, yeah. Um, I, I have, I'm, some in some ways connected with 30 small little rural churches in the Philippines through uh, a guy that I made contact with. And so they use actually some of my online courses for training some of their leaders in these little churches in, in the Philippines. Cause I sent them my courses on hard drives, but man, that they have people who've never had any form of Bible training that thought of those guys listening to me teach through Philippians or Galatians and them being able to preach to their congregation wow. based on some, good Bible training, you know, and it's like, so I don't want to prohibit them from being able to have access to that because of a cost. And so the thought of trying to crowdfund it so people like that could have access to that, man, I, yeah, that, that, I I like that. So the podcast is by Bible in life, right? Is that still the, yep. Bible in life podcast. What you do, you kind of do an audio commentary for that, right? Like you just work through books or. Yeah. I mean, I work through texts or, you know, sometimes I interact with questions (laughs) from listeners or, you know, like, so I taught through, I started the, podcast is working through the entire Sermon on the Mount. The difference I would say is with the podcast, I'm, I'm probably like 60, 40 on sort of the application and reflection side. Whereas on the commentary, I'll probably be 60, 40 or 70, 30 more on the teaching side, and a little less on the reflection and application side. So the listener's commentary will be more, let's emphasize what does the text actually say with a little bit on implications and reflection, whereas the podcast is a little heavier on the reflection implication side, application side. So, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And just, I mean, you won't say this, so I'll say it for you, but like you don't have a full-time job as a pastor teacher and then do this on the side. Like this is, this is how you survive. So that, so I appreciate yeah. you wanting, really appreciate you wanting to get stuff out there for free, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, a mechanic that loves to fix cars it's kind of nice to get paid for fixing cars since that's how you survive. So, so uh, yeah. So I appreciate your, um, your desire to crowdfund it, not, not put it behind a paywall for people that can't afford it, but just yeah. for our listeners, if they do wander over to your site and they're challenged and blessed by it, this is how John 
makes a living and it's yeah. not easy i mean it's because it's because no, there is a it lot of stuff easy. Out there. it is it's challenging you, you kind of know how that goes too yeah. so especially with viruses and stuff <laughs> yeah i think it's i had seven speaking, speaking engagements and things of that sort. i think i had seven canceled so far yeah um which <laughs> my kids were like yes i'm like yes i get to stay home with you but that's income too. We may for, not eat <laughs> rice and beans. It is kids. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. had my wife go and raid the stores. Um, she was, so, you know, all the, all the, everything was emptied with toilet paper and I've got, dude, I've got four kids, three girls. Okay. And so <laughs> yeah, to- toilet paper oh, goes fast. Yeah. Um, and she went to one store, they were stocking the shelves and people were grabbing it out of the hand of the stalker, the guy stalking him. And he was like one per family, one per family. So my wife actually got one package of wow. toilet paper and there were people super mad, like filling up their carts. And he's like, we are, you're, you're not going to check yeah. out with that. It's one for, and they were really upset, which I don't, I get so angry. I mean, this is just confession time, I guess the thought of people just hoarding stuff yeah, without any kind of concern about, other people and they really don't care. They're like, no, I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to have enough toilet paper till December. And I don't care if any, like just that idea of just people hoarding it is just, yeah. ah, it, it makes is. me so I, I heard here recently, my mom was telling me she was at Trader Joe's and the, the cashier she was with said they're almost ended up into a fist fight between a cashier and a customer earlier that morning because he wanted to buy an entire flatbed full of toilet paper. <laughs> It's like, dude, you can't buy that much. There's other people that need toilet paper besides you. And I don't get what it is with the toilet I paper. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense, man. But or the funniest thing is, is, is people point, buying you know? water. I, my wife, my wife uh, had enough foresight that about three or four weeks ago, she said, I can see where this is going. We're going to start buying extra for the next few weeks. And so she started actually buying extra about three weeks ago, not just the toilet paper, but big bag of rice extra dog food because the dog food stores are out of dog food really oh yeah and my wife was like we need to just start stocking up because i can see where this is going she she could read the handwriting of all like three or four weeks ago so we uh we we were kind of a little well prepared and and that's stocking up's one thing so like buying even if you bought like not even tons of extra just enough you know yeah well buy but yeah buy stuff that's gonna last for a few weeks more than you would like i get that i I would do that but like it's the it's the buying out the whole flat of stuff it's right i know just Ah, like, yeah, but that yeah. is such an American thing. It's at the end of the day, when, when fear strikes, people get hyper selfish and they can right. care less about the fellow person, you know, which I, it's, I guess it goes back to Genesis three. So it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's all theology, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, everything's theology. Um, let's talk about the church. So, I mean, you've been, you've been a pastor, you've been a teacher, you've been a church planner, you kind of done everything. You've been an associate pastor. I don't know. You've been involved in youth ministry early on. I mean, you've been in almost every space I could think of in terms of the greater kind of church world. Um, uh, What's your view on the church? Like, (laughs) do, Do you think churches need to make some changes in terms of how they operate? You know, I mean, as you step back and, and look at the way we're doing church, um, what are some big questions that you think pastors need to be asking themselves as they think forward in the year 2020 and beyond? Yeah. yeah it's a good question. And it's a big question, really. Um, and I even think this whole crisis with the coronavirus um, mm-hmm. reveals some of the, some of our, our struggles, you know, like, 
all of a sudden we can't meet in large groups and churches are scratching their head and scrambling to figure out what the heck to do, you know? And I get that. Or I actually posted on social media the other day, you know, that just because your church event is canceled doesn't mean church is canceled. That church goes beyond a Sunday morning event. And probably that's my, my biggest... If my biggest critique, I'm not sure if that's the right word, my biggest concern, my biggest whatever with church of late is how it seems like in the last 20 plus years, it's always been like Sunday morning has, you know, always been a big deal to church, but it seems like we've just now, it's becoming such a bigger deal. The church Sunday morning or the weekend church service, that we put all our money, we put all our time, we hire all our staff to pull off a really awesome, super cool Sunday morning event. Hmm. And I understand the heart behind it. A lot of that is, man, we want to make it, you know, attractive to people so that we can help invite people in so that they can come and they can meet Jesus. But the fact is, is if you just stop, step back and think about it, it's like the amount of time, the amount of energy, and the amount of money that goes into the Sunday morning event hmm. for church. What if we just shifted our priorities and shifted our focus a little bit and began to say, all right, let, let's let the Sunday morning event, event be an overflow out of what we're really called to do, which is make disciples, you know, and, and uh, I'm not saying that Sunday morning is important or that it can't contribute to the making of disciples. It's just not the end all be all of that. Mm. And we've kind of made it that, you know, and that, that's probably my biggest concern, just the amount of staffing and money and, lights and bands and you know technology and yada 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 to pull off a really super cool awesome sunday morning event how is i i, I completely agree with that and, and it's hard because I, I keep i feel like i keep hearing more and more people say what, what you just said and, and it's what i would say and yet like you said it seems like still churches are almost more focused on that than ever before and each tradition yeah. maybe has its different you know, certain denominations, maybe not as much or others more. Um, but I don't know, like, what's it going to take? I don't know. Well, how, how about this? What, what if I would, I would love for you to, if you could plant a church and maybe I'm going to ask you if you're planning on, oh, man. <laughs> but if, no, I mean, if, if you had it, let's just say in a perfect world, you can build a church structure from ground up. Okay. And let's just, just, let's just talk theoretically right now. Not, not yeah. even like, but like theoretically, what would that, what would that look like? What, what would the, what would the, you yeah. know, Monday through Sunday rhythm and the, what would the Sunday morning look like? What would discipleship look like? Where yeah. would money be spent and so on? Yeah. All right. Well, just being honest, I don't think there's a perfect church structure. Sure. So if I'm planning a church, I'm probably not going to come up with a perfect church structure. So we just need to be honest about sure, that, sure, right? Sure, sure. But some are better than others. <laughs> <laughs> some are better than others. But I think we all need to be humble about, about this, right? There's, there's, no, there's no perfect church structure. Um, I do think there are things that we should pour our energies into more so than others. And, you know, I, I mean, Jesus' marching orders to the church are very clear. Go and make disciples. We have no other mission. comes as a shock to even pastors and elders that that's our mission. It really does. Churches have struggled with years. How do we do evangelism and do discipleship? Well, you're, you're, you're asking the wrong question. We don't do evangelism and discipleship. We do discipleship, one component of which is evangelism, and the other component of which is helping people obey all the things Jesus commanded. 
that's what Jesus says, right? So we have one mission, make disciples. Evangelism is a, is a part of that. Teaching people to obey Jesus is a mm -hmm. part of that. So that's our mission. If we just would focus on that mission and say, okay, now how do you do that? <laughs> that would bring some clarity, right? Um, so anyhow, back to the question. So if I were to have a structure from the ground up, I would at least say here's some things we should focus on is, is I actually have a little document called five priorities of a disciple making church. Hmm. Um, so these are some of the things in that document that I would say we should focus on. We should focus on culture creation over programs and events. Let's create a, a culture that helps people grow to maturity in Christ that invites people who are unbelievers into that culture. That's what you see in the new Testament, right? Like you read, you read the instructions to the church in the New Testament, there's almost zero program instructions. There's almost zero event instructions. There's, there's a few, but almost it's very, very little of that. Almost all of it is culture instructions. How, what does it look like to live out the culture of God's kingdom right here, right now in the place we live? Let's, so you have all sorts of culture instructions about life together and consider one another more important than, than yourselves and bear one another's burdens. These are, these are culture creation instructions, right? So if we're going to be a church that carries out Jesus' mission, we got to focus on culture creation over events and programs, right? Mm -hmm. so that's one thing I would say we should focus on. Um, another thing I think we should focus on when, when you hear that, uh, you hear those instructions. Notice a lot of them are serve one another, love one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. We got to focus on relationships again over over Sunday morning events and worship services. Like discipleship always happens through a life on life transfer. Mm -hmm. Mark chapter three, Jesus called the disciples that they should be with him. That's, it's that withness. That's the the medium in which discipleship happens is withness, right? And when you go to a Sunday morning event and you, you know, you go to a church service and you stare at the back of someone's head, you raise your hands, you sing your songs, you say hi and bye and you walk out the door. There's not a whole lot of withness there, right? How do you lear learn to serve one another when the bulk of your church experience is just at a, at a weekend service, right? Like, so we got to focus on relationships over against just cool events, mm -hmm. relationships that help us learn to live, you know, the way Jesus calls us to live, right? So somehow we're gonna have to we're gonna have to focus on that. How do we? So the the Monday through Saturday, how do we actually create togetherness, particularly in in a society like the American society or most Western civilizations today? You know, European societies and all that, uh, where we're so individualistic and we're so isolated from people. So how do we create withness? How do we create one anothering? You know what I mean? And create a one another culture. I, in fact, I, I actually have said for the last handful of years that I, I much prefer the language of let's work on creating a one another culture rather than let's, let's create community. Let's have authentic relationships. And the reason that, not that those are bad phrases, but it's that community or authentic relationships, anybody can stick whatever content they want into those phrases. What does community look like to you? Yeah. What does community look like to me? What does an authentic relationship look like to you? Well, how about if we just create a one another culture and then we can go to the New Testament and say, okay, let's list off all the one another's of the New Testament. Let's work towards that. Love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, spur one another to love and good deeds, consider one another more important than yourself. Let's work together to create that. 
And if we can begin to figure out how to create that, wow, well, now we're going to help people move, you know, closer to becoming like Jesus. So yeah. I think we should focus on, you know, relationships. What does it look like to create an environment in which we can have a one another culture? I mean, I think that's huge, yeah. you know? And one thing I've seen, I would love your thoughts on this. Um, I know a lot of Christians that are longing for true, intimate, deep fellowship. They're longing for community, but they don't like community groups. <laughs> I, yeah. I might even put myself in that category. Like I, there's, I've been parts <laughs> of many different churches and groups, and some have been, some have been good. Most have been okay. Some have been like, I get excited when it's canceled, kind of thing. I'm like, why am I doing this? You know? And I'm like, <laughs> um, and I was talking to a buddy of mine, who has a really hard time at his church community group. And yet he has a network of about five or six different neighbors. None of them are Christians. One might be a Christian, but they get together all the time. They help each other out. They barbecue. If anybody has a need, somebody jumps in. And he says, it's kind of odd that my non-Christian community group <laughs> is doing the one another is better than the Christian community. The Christian group is kind of awkward. We kind of look at it. We don't know how to go deep. And he kind of said something and this, it kind of drew out what I've been thinking about. having put language to that. Most Christian community groups are kind of forced it. They're still, mm -hmm. they still have this kind of programmatic DNA community group is next Sunday. It starts at six. It ends at eight. We're going to fellowship for 20 minutes and then we're going to, you know, share our testimonies for the next four, you know, it's just, it's still, it's like, we can't gather as Christians without having a church service, whether it's a church service with 10 people or yeah. two people. And, but his, his, his other secular community group, it was just people living. He just, yeah, we just like each other. We kind of got to know each other. We get bugged each other. We fight and argue about politics, but we serve each other. It wasn't forced. It just happened naturally. So anyway, right. that, that's a long kind of on ramp yeah. to, one, do you, do, do, do you sense that too? Have you experienced that kind of the, the forced nature and the forces might be too strong, but I'm using it deliberately kind of a little bit over right. the top, but, um, versus the natural kind of, when you get together friends, you just get together, you enjoy each other. You don't, you know, it's not so structured. If it's structured, it's right. kind of weird. It's not natural. At the same time, how would you create an environment where people are naturally, because because the other fear is like, well, if you just let people do okay, we're not going to we're a church. We're not going to have any community groups. Just, just do it yeah. naturally. Probably won't do it. Like for most right, people, right. it's not going to happen. So I don't, I don't know what the solution is. It just seems that there is kind of this awkwardness in a lot of Christian community groups yeah. and it doesn't, they don't just cause it's a small group. Doesn't mean you're doing life on life. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No, I, and I think, you know, again, full disclosure, I think I see, I have more questions and see more problems than I have solutions too. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, so I think we need to be honest about that, but you know, creating a one another culture doesn't mean like no structure and it doesn't mean accidental. It still has to be intentional, right? Like a yeah. greenhouse is in a certain culture, a certain environment, but it was intentionally created. Right. Hmm. So I think we have to provide some, there has to be some intentional direction. There has to be some intentional guidance in order to create a one another culture. Um, in order for it to happen. So I think that we, we, we have to be willing to accept there's got to be some intentionality to it. And I think that intentionality is uh, made more necessary by something you mentioned way back at the beginning of your comment or question there that maybe 
your your buddy didn't you know about your buddy that you didn't even realize you said is like all those people that happen naturally for him live in his neighborhood yeah yeah and this is something that i think is one of the problems that is a massive problem and because it's such a big problem i don't have a great solution to and that is just a societal problem in a mobile society where people they go to churches that are 30 minutes away. They do life groups at a house that's, you know, our community groups at a house that are 20 minutes away. They don't see these people except for that hour, hour and a half when they're together for their small group or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Because they don't live in the same neck of the woods. So they don't see each other when they, when they go shopping at the grocery store. They don't see each other at, you know, high school events because their kids don't go to school together. And so mm-hmm. it's really hard to do life together when there's no natural overlap of hmm. that life. And, and so that, I just think that's, that's probably the biggest, biggest impediment to, to creating uh, intentional life together groups that actually feel like life together groups. Yeah. Cause so we just don't. I, I want to explore something with you. I don't think I've ever gone here on the podcast and my, I've got a few LDS listeners that I, that I'm aware of. And they're oh, going to love this. Oh, yeah. I, I have been the last year, and I, so I've never been to a Mormon church. I have no, no plans of converting to the LDS faith <laughs> for various reasons. However, I have been very impressed with, the, with certain aspects of a Mormon ecclesiology um, <laughs> that I just like, I think they might be nailing it. And let me, let me unpack that a bit. And again, I'm speaking out of a lot of ignorance here, but I've had several LDS friends growing up. I grew up in a big um, LDS city. Fresno is, is a big LDS city out in California. Obviously, I live in Bo- you know, Boise. What, 25% at least Mormon? Is that, is that right? Is it about 25%? That's, that's, that's something like that. It's um, big, yeah. My neighbors, I would say the majority of my neighbors in my neighborhood are LDS, at least 50%. Um, we have a church right down the street, Uh Award is it called award? Yeah, Mormon um, Award. So here, here's so I'm speaking out of some ignorance, but from what I know, the a Mormon church service is not attract. It's not no. it, you don't go to a Mormon church because it's like wow, that was an amazing church service. Um, I would say, and I don't, you know, I, I from my vantage point, a lot of theology is very questionable. It doesn't seem like that's like wow, right. this this is attracting me to the Mormon faith. What attracts yeah. people to Mormon faith? the fellowship, the community, the tight knit, you know, you yeah. become part of a, f- a family. Right. Um, also the, the parish kind of model, which, which is in, you know, Scotland and in, in the UK and other, some countries that have kind of more of a state church. I mean, it, it is, you don't choose your church, right? It's like, no, you're yeah. in this neighborhood. That's where you go. And this is where your community lives. Um, I, I think that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> And I don't know why we don't, but we can never, I mean, Protestants are, it would never work. Right. And I've even seen <laughs> churches, evangelical churches that tried that they break up the neighborhood and it just doesn't work because it's not in our DNA. But at the same time, all I know is one of my neighbors, every Tuesday night, they have a, a massive volleyball game with all their Mormon friends that we've gotten invited. We've never gone. They're laughing, they're partying, they're hanging out. They are in the natural rhythm of life. They have kids babysitting other kids. I mean, I yep. feel the spiritual family in my neighborhood. Like we often feel like, feel like we're kind of missing out. You know? Yeah. And then we go hang out with our Protestant evangelical friends and it's like, yeah, this is kind of crickets or whatever. And, um, 
I'm like, man, I just, I just wonder if ecclesiologically they're onto something. Have you thought through this? Do you have any thoughts on my heretic? No, I, yeah, I, I, on one hand, yes, I think, I think ecclesiologically. I have to add one more thing is how much does it cost to put on the Mormon church? It not like nobody's really paid, right? It's all, like they don't invest a yeah, lot of they money. Have very, very. It's almost all lay leadership, lay led. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then even their buildings have a stock, yeah, um, blueprint, yeah. and they right. just build to that, which so, is, makes it a lot cheaper, right? I mean, yep, yeah. yeah. So no, I think, so I think ecclesiologically they're onto something because, um, sociologically they're onto something. You know, okay, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Right. That, that, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to create a one another culture, it works better when you actually can one another, <laughs> right. Yeah. If you, you can do life together. Yeah. And, and so I know I, um, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I see those benefits for it. I also, like you said, I mean, I, this is, evangelical Christians, they're just not going to do that, man. Like, you're, you're not going to tell me which church I can go to, right? You're just not, I mean, right. we just, I, it would I never happen. It would never work. I mean, I know it would never work. I, um, <clears throat> but I do see some advantages to that. You know, that back in the, the mid nineties book came out by a guy called the connecting church. Don't know if you ever heard of that. Yeah. I heard of it. Who was that? Uh, I can see his face. I just lost his name. Probably have the book on a shelf behind me here. But he was at Pantago, Pantago Bible Church in Texas or something like that at the time. Interesting. And they were they were trying to build a model where all their small groups were arranged around school districts. Okay. So if you were in a certain school district, you went to a small group in that school district so that you would naturally overlap with people at school events. You would probably shop at similar stores and you would more likely bump into each other at, you know, just going through normal life. It was easier for you to, you know, do social things together because your, your kids were in the same schools together and all of that. And so that was their attempt to try to create some sort of greater connection in their small groups. And then they had mid-sized groups that were collections of all those small groups from that school district. And so, and they would have those people get there. So you had a kind of a church within a bigger church field. It was a, you know, hundred, 200 people of small groups that were all in the same school district and all that. And it's like, man, that seems like a really cool idea. I just, you know, just don't know how realistic it is. You know, like here's another thought though. I wonder, so I'm just imagining in my head, you know, planning a church where we could go kind of traditional church model, except we tell people, you know, our community groups or location based, whatever, you're st- it, and this goes back to your original point. If you have a really attractive dynamite church service, you're going to attract people from all over the place. Yep. Um, and this is where uh, <laughs> I don't think they, I don't think they do it intentionally, but like if the church service isn't attractive and I'm not, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud <laughs> here. So everybody, I don't want to get, don't, don't fire off that angry email. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. Like, I just wonder if, if, if our pursuit of something that might be good, a good church service is working against a more geography based community. Yeah. Cause if you have a dynamite yeah. teacher and he's the one on stage every week, you're going to get people driving an hour away. Um, yeah. and, and they're yeah. not gonna, 
I don't know. Um, but I, I can't quite advocate for, yeah, put a really crappy preacher, horrible word. No. <laughs> but I don't know. Is, is there a way we can create a meaningful church service? Or is there a way we can, where we can still have high quality, meaningful church service services and yet wean people off of making that their end all of their church experience? Right. Is it impossible to do both? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think it's a fair question. I've wrestled with the question. I, I, uh, I'm convinced that somehow we have to, we have to try to aim, put more of our energy, more of our effort and more of our time into creating a one another culture Yeah. rather than putting all our time and our best time, our best energy and our best dollars into creating a great Sunday morning or weekend experience. I think mm-hmm. if we could at least shift our money and our time towards the one anothering side, that might help. I, I don't know, but it might help. You know what I mean? What does it, what does it look like to shift your money towards that? Just the church kind of funding, just all kinds of gatherings and events. They bring people together or like what would, um, yeah, resources for that. Um, instead of hiring staff to make our Sunday morning super awesome, what if we hired staff to actually equip and coach and train small group leaders in the neighborhoods so that, uh, you know what I mean? So that, yeah. that, that we were actually resourcing people who could really be like frontline pastors to groups of 15, 20 people in their neighborhoods, right? Instead of so that we, we have pastors who their primary job is not to have meetings, plan, evaluate, and pull off great weekend services. Their primary responsibility mm. is to disciple and equip and train uh, members of the church so that they're growing in faith so they can do that for others. What would that, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, what would that look like? So that, again, we're shifting our priorities away from the end-all be-all is the Sunday morning experience to the end-all be-all is we're living together in life in our neighborhoods and in our community for the, for, for the name of Jesus. And we're helping people move from unbeliever to new believer, to growing believer, to mature believer. Cause that always happens in a one-on-one or a relational context, a one another context of some sort. There's always a life on life transfer when somebody is becoming like Jesus, you know, I mean, you even see that in the apostle Paul when he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. people need a concrete model. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Mm -hmm. How, how does, how does a, a somebody who's really following Jesus raise three teenage daughters, Mm. Preston, right? Like you could tell us, you could tell us, but maybe if we watched you, we saw you, we realized, Oh, there's the ups and downs. There's the frustrations. There's the questions, right? Like, and, and there's how we engage that. Yeah. Yeah. Having a book is one thing. Watching a small group video where someone's teachings about it is, is one thing. Doing life with somebody who's doing it, totally a different thing, right? Yeah, like, totally. So someone moves to maturity by the watch. When you're thinking of young people who are just having kids and they grew up in broken homes and they didn't have a good example of a dad or a mom and, or whatever, and now all of a sudden to watch somebody raise their kids for Jesus – that's powerful when they get to see it. It's like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What does it look like to, to um, you know, in as a banker or as a mechanic or whatever, what does it look like to live a with God life in that kind of context and that kind of job? I'm a new believer. I need to know what that looks like. Well, I could tell you, but 
what if we spent time together, yeah. you know, and we, we you ask questions. And so that one anothering is such a critical part of becoming like Jesus and growing in the faith. And so what if we shifted both our time, our staff time, our hiring time, our monetary focus? What if we shifted all of that so that we were helping people learn how to do that well? That, and I think the fear is um, church services attract people and people bring Money. money and money <laughs> keeps the thing go round and around. And here we go again. Yeah. It's just that vicious cycle. What's, what's fascinating though, going back to the LDS, um, uh, conversation, they're growing, right? I mean, it's, it's great. It's, I mean, the Mormon church, uh, yeah. is here's the difference. And here's something that's really important is it's mandated. Yeah. Which church you go to is mandated. Yeah. Not even which church you go to, which service you go to at that building is mandated. You go to the three o'clock service. You go to the one o'clock yeah. service. So that's mandated. And and then how much you give is mandated. So, but that, you, would reported. Think, you would think that that would be a turnoff for, you would think that they would lose their members in 20 years. Like it wouldn't even exist. So why are people still attracted to that? I think it's because the power of, and they're, I don't know, it's, it's probably more complicated than I'm making it out to be, but I think because that spiritual tight knit, and I've had, I've had friends that have converted to the yeah. Mormon faith because they're like, no, that tight knit family is a huge reason for it. It's so a huge I, going back to my it. point, I just wonder if we, we think that it's the church service that is going to still attract people. I just wonder if we did take a little bit of leap, leap of faith and start to invest more time, energy, money, everything you're yeah. saying in building that real robust, authentic community you don't need an amazing church service. I think people would probably be really, really, really attracted to that. And you'd probably have a lot more growth than you realize, I think. I Particularly in view of the epidemic of loneliness in American society. Yeah. yeah. And, and then not only that, add to it that if you really want a dynamic communicator and you want some really good teaching, you can find that online now. So that's you where I wanted to go. To I actually Stanley. wrote down this. You can, you can listen to Craig Rochelle. So you can get that somewhere. And on that note, this is going to sound really bad. So <laughs> take for what's worth. Theology and raw, man. You can. <laughs> so, so now we, now we have churches subscribing to right now media, which is all well and good. They've got some good stuff on there, but now they can listen to Francis Chan. They can listen to Craig Rochelle. They can listen to Andy Stanley in their small group. And that's what churches are doing. So now they've just taken the Sunday morning experience and they've dumped it into their, their small group experience. And it's like, as if that's the end all be all of everything is, mm. Like you said, we got to reproduce the church service, even in our small groups. And it's like, well, maybe we need to rethink, hmm. like, we need to rethink what we're doing. You know, I, I, again, I think it even comes one of my, in this five priorities, but he's held making church. One of the priorities I mentioned is we need a kingdom gospel over against a forgiveness only gospel. Hmm. I think we don't even fully understand the full gospel that, and, and, and as a result of that, we don't realize what we're, we think we're trying to get people to get their sins forgiven so they can get their ticket to heaven so they can hang out on earth and go to heaven when they die. Rather than our whole job is that Jesus is king and, and our job is to say, I, I believe he's king. So I want to learn how to live the king sort of way in the here and now. And that that's attractive. Like mm -hmm. if we actually live Jesus kind of life, like that's attractive, mm -hmm. you know, individually in our families. Um, in our small groups, if we actually began to, okay, so, well, you know, we're going to, 
our job is to live out the kingdom in our time and place now. That's how we're a city set on a hill. I think that might be attractive mm-hmm. to people. You know what I mean? Like you don't you yeah. don't become a city set on a hill by having a great worship service. You become yeah. a city set on a hill by loving your your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, by you know, not condemning and blaming, by getting rid of anger and getting rid of lust and and being people that, that genuinely love one another. Now you're a city set on a hill and people look at it and think, man, I want what they got. Mm-hmm. And I think that's far more attractive than just getting people to come mm-hmm. to a cool, cool event. You know, I've often wondered like what, what, what should preaching look like in 2020, you know, 10 years after things like podcasts have really taken off live, all the stuff you're talking about, like we can get, I mean, the, the, the the church that existed 30 years ago doesn't exist anymore in the sense that people can get access in their pocket to the best speakers yeah. worldwide. Does that, should that reshape how we think about preaching in, in our local church context? And you, I mean, you have a doctorate in preaching, like you are, this is your primary <laughs> area. So I, I would love, yeah. What, what do you think that churches should rethink just the very category of preaching, you know, cause really yeah. we're doing the same thing we did 30 years ago. I mean, 40 years ago, 50, it's like, and it worked in before this thing called the internet was invented. It, yeah. That's people went to church to hear preaching and, and, yeah. you know, um, but now it's, I don't know. Um, I, I know I was talking to a good friend of mine, super committed. He actually has done some ministry and mission work um, out of college. So it's not like he's a lazy Christian. I would probably say at least half the Sundays out of the year, he watches church from home online because <laughs> it's a better church service than he can get yeah. anywhere else anyhow. And he likes the preaching and the teaching and he travels for business all week anyhow, and he's tired. And so it's like, I would rather be home with my wife on the weekend than just go to, you know, so it's like, well, that's, you know, it's like, that's, that, that's the tension we live in where there's so many resources available. So should we rethink the category of preaching? Well, <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's, here's some, I, I'll just talk off the top of my head. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I've um, been doing the whole, <laughs> yeah, that's what we've been doing anyhow. So I, uh, I I loathe the fact that of how ignorant Christians are of the Bible. Yeah. There is a desperate need for for good teaching. Not just teaching, good teaching. Yeah. Again, one of the priorities in my disciple making church document is is like um we need to we need to we need to aim for wisdom when we teach, not just information, right? But wisdom has to be based on good information. And so there has to be good teaching that's going to help God's people become wise, right? Because we all know that, that you know, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord and that wisdom is the true treasure in the book of Proverbs, right? And so in Jesus, the treasure chest of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians, right? So we want to help make people wise. So where is that going to happen? That, that can happen online. That can happen through podcasts. Mm-hmm. That, that can happen in those contexts. And so, yes, they can get some good teaching online. I want them to get my teaching online. Right. That's why I'm yeah. providing it. You want them to get your teaching. That's why we're <laughs> totally. on a podcast, right? We want them to get that. They can get that online. So on one hand, they can get that. 
Um, on the other hand, there's a, again a relational component to people being gathered together and being shepherded by a group of wise pastors who can speak very specifically into their circumstances and their situation and, and give them God's word for that situation, right? Mm -hmm. So if we could do preaching like that, mm -hmm. I think there's a place for it where it's, yeah. where it's, it's, it's not generic. It's not, you know, we're just cut and pasting a, a series. We saw Andy Stanley or Craig Rochelle do or Francis Chan do. Bomb. We're put because he did a great job. We're gonna, we're gonna. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna kind of replicate that in my church. Could we just find a way to help make our people wise and, and use, you know, we know our people. We know their circumstances as pastors, right? Like that's the difference I think with pastor. Mm, yeah. Good pastoral preaching is we can speak to the needs of those people because we're, we're, we're with. If we're actually with them, we're not just a you know, ivory tower preacher who sits in our study for 40 hours a week and we're not with the people, right? If we actually know our people and we know what they're going through, we can speak into their situation in a way that you just can't when you're doing what we're doing, where we're talking to a microphone and we don't know exactly who's going to listen. And we don't know the questions they're wrestling with. Or as a pastor, when you speak, it provokes things. And now they have a relationship with you because you're with them. And now they feel comfortable to to pull you alongside after service or to reach out to you and have a, have a question and you can actually answer that relational component, I think is just huge. So make it make, maybe the preaching needs to be, and, and maybe something just to be, yeah, we haven't said this yet, but there's probably churches, maybe a lot of churches that are doing this, doing this well. I don't know. Um, but, but make it much more locally focused. Like what are the specific needs of our people? What are the questions they have? What are they wrestling yeah. with? Maybe there's a certain, geographical component you know um uh yeah i'll, now, I'll never I think forget very much I so and even even just i mean like this morning i i actually put it in my instagram story uh, uh i got a direct message through instagram from a college student who goes to college at a neighboring town over in caldwell idaho and hey hey dr whitaker it's funny she calls me that because she's never been a student of mine huh. um she knows my name is john she has permission to call me that, but she always calls me Dr. Whitaker. Hey, Dr. Whitaker, I'm reading through the book of Acts, and I came upon an interesting verse, and I got a question, and she asked me a question about Acts 18.18. 18. Um, why? Well, because um, I used to preach at the pursuit, and her family went to the pursuit, and her mom and her dad went to a small group with me, so she felt a relational connection. And so for two years since she's been in college, I will get uh, about every couple months, I'll get a Bible question from Haley. Hmm. because there's a relational connection mm -hmm. and she feels free to ask that. Hmm. And it, it's helping her. I mean, some of it has been even dealing with some of her skeptical professors in college who don't believe who have challenged her faith and she needs someone to help guide her. I'm that someone. Why? Because she heard me preach. She developed a, a sense that he's trustworthy. I talked with her and acknowledged her personhood and had real conversations with her. And now she feels free that I can help guide her when she needs help. Yeah. That relational component to the pastoral hmm. preaching office, I think is really, really important and really, really huge. So even though I'm still, I'm technically not her pastor anymore because I was, yeah. and because I was relational enough with her, she feels safe and comfortable letting me still pastor her through Instagram. There is that, that relational collateral through everything you said that, yeah. that, that makes your, 
advice, your thoughts more valuable than even if she heard maybe Craig Rochelle or somebody. I'm, I've literally yeah. never heard Craig Rochelle speak, so I'm assuming he's a, a good communicator. <laughs> some people really like him. Some people don't. Really, yeah. really depends. So, I mean, he's obviously dynamic leader with what he's got going on with Life Church, man. Yeah, you know, exactly. So. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I've heard. I've only listened to maybe a few minutes of Andy Stanley. I just, I don't, I don't listen to preachers too much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I personally, I would much rather listen to a podcast with somebody who has not just a polished kind of way of saying things to me. And this is just me. I just like, whatever. That's great. I, I could tweet that. It sounds good, but I, I want somebody who's got really, really good, thoughtful ideas and, um, and collateral collateral. That's not, um, and a reason why I should listen to them speak yeah. about this. And, and I, you know, I like just really good, engaging conversation. So I, I mean, I've, I've said this many times on the podcast. I think I have, um, that I just think for most churches, and I know some churches maybe aren't set up for this, but I, I just think having some kind of space for Q and a, some space for the yeah. people to ask questions or even, I mean, this gets really maybe technical, but we, you know, we use through the, through the, the things we put on, um, through my ministry, you know, we use a, a platform called Slido. It's a Q&A platform where people can text in a question, but they vote on questions, which ones they want to see addressed first. So the ones that are most oh, voted wow. on get pushed to the top. I just think if I, if I ever was a pastor, I think I would have Dude, Slido would so for a half hour at the end of each. I might give a, actually, I, I think I would probably teach for 30, 45 minutes and then have another half hour of Q&A. And if people, if they're not into sitting there for, you know, yeah. an hour and a half, then there's so many other churches they can go, you know, like I, I would probably make it a really um, kind of like some, you know, black churches, you know, where it's like a three hour service. I think I would probably <laughs> have that just cause I don't, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't want it to be like comfortable. Like I'd want it to be uncomfortable, you know, maybe we'd have chairs, probably not just come bring your own. I don't know. Like I, it would be like, I would only yeah. want people there that are really like wanting to engage on a, on a, on a relational level, on an intellectual level. Anyway, I, I just, for me, I'm like, I, I just can't imagine ever speaking again without getting some kind of response. What questions do you have? What was on earth? Yeah. You know, and even in that platform, you could be anonymous. So somebody could say, you know what? I've been sexually abused. Um, how would I navigate this issue based on what you said? Like where yeah. in church do we have? Cause that, how much more crucial are those kind of questions? Um, yeah. my marriage sucks. Um, and it's anonymous. You can ask that and hear like, what would you say about this? You know, yeah. there's no space in most churches to, to. No. And a lot of people are thinking those things and those kinds of things are really, really good. I, you know, um, we went, you know, we're just kind of laid out in a basic discipleship pathway in a church service one time from pre-faith, new faith, young faith, growing faith, mature faith. That is the basic process that we want to take people through, right? They want to go from unbeliever to mature believer. So, after service was over, we, we put that up on the service. I kind of explained it, gave indicators of here's key characteristics of generally speaking of people in ver those various stages, right? So I put that up on the screen and that was the t teaching for the day. After service was over, this guy uh, waiting around in the lobby, kind of waiting around in the lobby for until the lobby clears out because he doesn't want people to overhear the conversation. Then yeah. once it's pretty empty, he comes up to me and says, hey, John, can I talk to you? I said, sure. What's up? And he's like, so you know that thing you put up on the screen? So I, I've, I would say I've been a Christian for like over 10 years. And I would still put myself in the newer young faith stage. Because oh, yeah. no one ever told me where I needed to go and how to get there. 
So, so since I'm still down there, what, what do you think I need to do in order to move to the next stage? There's probably another hundred people in the room that were wondering the exact same yeah. kind of thing. Isn't that crazy? Right? And he had the freedom to ask that yeah. question and I could answer it for the benefit of everybody. Yeah. That'd be so helpful to people, you know, and have people realize that, yeah, it's, that unfortunately, oftentimes our church environments leave you in that young or new faith stage where yeah. it's like, you know, you're supposed to go to church, you know, you're supposed to give your money and you know, you're supposed to serve at least as a greeter in kids ministry. And there you go. Now you're a Christian. And it's like, well, no, the goal is for you to become like Jesus from the inside out. So you can love everybody the way Jesus loved you. And how yeah. do you get to that point? And how, you know, and how do you, and how all that baggage of your past, how does that go away? And how does Jesus work with you and you work with Jesus to be transformed, to be a good tree that bears good fruit? That doesn't happen on accident. So I come to church, I sit in service, I sing songs, and mm -hmm. but I still think I'm a young or new Christian, you know, oh. and how do I change now? So, John, so the question and answer format would be really powerful. I, 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 I mean, people... They, they light up when it comes to Q&A, people will get on the edge of their seats because they've got questions and they're hoping I answer their question. And if I don't, they come yeah, up, they that, line that, up afterwards the thing, and they want to talk. Here's the thing is you and I have both taught at the college level. We're used to getting questions in class yeah. and we're, and we're quick on our feet. So we're comfortable with that. Uh, so the, you said the average pastor might not be comfortable. With I, I'm, I'm pretty confident the average pastor might be a little, <laughs> or they might, they, they might need more time to think it through. And so now they're giving really stupid answers. That's not a criticism. It's just, they're not quick on their feet. They haven't thought some of the implications through. Yeah. And so they might give a bad answer and that's not going to be helpful. <laughs> you, you know, know what, what I mean? that's yeah. And I mean, both you and I, you know, we, we've got a lot of higher education and not, not the average, the average pastor might not. So well, yeah, cer certainly it would, it would require in the classroom with students firing questions yeah. at you. You learn how to, you learn to get comfortable with that. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, I mean, it's like anything else. The more you do it, the more comfortable you are. I saw you in, on Instagram post a picture of you swinging at some balls in a batting cage the other day, right? Right. Yeah. Well, um, your swings still look pretty good. Why? You've played a lot of baseball, yeah. dude. Yeah. True? I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I saw Eric mention that you looked like you were a little out over your front foot, you know. But, I played uh, with him in college. He's a pastor on California. That's so funny. Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. You, you know, I mean, things that you've done a lot, you're comfortable with. We've answered a lot of questions in the, the spur of the moment. Some people are comfortable with that. Some aren't. So I don't know that it would be for everybody. Well, it, it, well I, I don't know. I, I would say, yes, it would probably raise the bar on what it takes to be a pastor, too. Yeah. You know, maybe. Well, I don't want to say something offensive, but, you know, may, maybe a, a real hip, energetic, charismatic 23 year old with, you know, um, a year of Bible college might not be the best person to field, you know, um, questions from a 53 year old woman with four kids and a whole history of sexual abuse that she's never talked to anybody about. Yeah. Um, that yeah. might be more destructive if you try to respond to that, you know, but, but to me, I'm like, great. Yeah. Let's, let's raise that bar. Well, there'll be right. fewer pastors. There'll be fewer churches. Let's, let's raise the bar on who is, who is being, <laughs> who is keeping watch over the souls of humans? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, we, if we went to a brain surgeon, we expect them to have, we right. want a high, we want the, we're glad the medical field has a high bar. So when we go to soul surgery and I don't want to put a stark dichotomy between mind, body and mind or whatever, but you, you yeah, know, it's but, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, 
I want to be shepherded by somebody that knows what they're talking about, yeah. you know? And this comes back to where we started, kind of almost <laughs> full circle, is we have put so much emphasis on running a great organization, being a great leader, and pulling off awesome events yeah. that we have forgotten that the primary thing the church is supposed to be about is forming great humans. So good. And and if if we would say we need leaders who are shepherds of people and who can model real deep human living and they can form great humans, that's what we got to be about. Jesus came to rescue the human world from the, the all the crap that is mm-hmm. you know part of this fallen life and help us become the kind of humans God designed us to be. And the church is supposed to be a greenhouse for growing great humans. Mm. So what would it look like to say, all right, there's got to be some organizational elements. We've got to lead the organization, but in the service of becoming a greenhouse to grow great humans, rather mm-hmm. than just being a really awesome religious organization that gets people involved in lots of religious activity, but doesn't help them become the kind of people God created. That's, so That's what we should focus on. John, it's been great uh, talking with you. And and you kind of hinted at it early on, but you, part of your ministry that you're creating, that you have created is coaching churches in this. And um, can you tell it just before we part ways here, um, yeah. how would people get a hold of you if, if, if there's a pastor leader listening and like, man, I would love to have this guy come in and, you know, I don't know, help kind of help us think through maybe how we're doing things. Is that, is that what you do? You, you would go and. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm creating a, well, I've created a discipleship coaching process for churches. Like how I want to help churches go further, faster in thinking through their discipleship pathway process so they can cultivate a discipleship culture in their church. Mm. And, and uh, so, yeah, they, if, if, if they want to know more about that, just shoot me an email at john at johnwhitaker.net, john, john at johnwhitaker.net, and just say, hey, I'm interested in, in hearing more about your discipleship coaching program, mm-hmm. and let's schedule time to talk. Let's figure it out. So, yeah. well, and I, yeah, you I check mean, out my website. I got some information on there yeah. as well at johnwhitaker.net. Check that out. And yeah, and I, I would just, well. yeah, I want to publicly endorse everything you do and say, <laughs> because I mean, you, you do have, I just love the combination of, you know, you are an academically minded person, you know, you have a, a doctorate in preaching and yet you've been a pastor church planner. So you have the full kind of gamut of you've thought through things on a deep intellectual level for many years, yet you have all this various experiences in the church. So it's not, you're not just, you're not speaking just from theory or whatever, like you have, you know, walked um, in the lives of people and in the lives of churches for many, many years and, and uh, would yeah highly recommend um, any church, church tapping into your, your wisdom and experience. So I appreciate thanks for what that. you do, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Well, thanks for being on Theology in a Row. We'll have to do this again this time next year. I think it's going to be a yearly thing. <laughs> Checking in with John. <laughs> All right, man. Hope you get to feeling better. Thanks, man. Take care. <laughs>